And I'm Joel. And this is Sunday School Cinema. Hooray! Yay. Uh, (laughs) Today we are talking about the 1992 Steve Martin movie, Leap of Faith. And before we dive in, Joel, something occurred to me this morning. Um, Mm -hmm. I have several times had various friends ask me when I put out a new episode, should we watch the movie? Because, you know, we would not always recommend doing so. <laughs> should we should, Asking you as in, is the movie good enough to be worth watching? Or right. as in, should we watch it before we listen to this? Like, would right. it make sense without listening no, to it? No, like, I think, is the movie worth watching? <laughs> I was just gotcha. thinking that we could start these with just, like, a blanket, yes, I think you should, like, I think this is worth watching, and then get into the details so people can, like, make that decision. Um, because I think what we do a lot of times is at the end be like, yes, you should watch this movie. Why did you listen to this whole thing and not watch this movie? <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's fair. Yeah. So, Joel, if you just had to give, like, a yes or no, is this worth people's time, would you say that it is? So that's a little bit harder to answer than it sounds like because I gave after watching it again this morning i i gave this movie a two and a half out of five. Oh my okay, <laughs> so, okay. It's, it's but just the right yes there or no joel you're me. you're <laughs> uh, it's not it's it's you're probably not going to be mad that you watched it That's put it that way it's not like it's unlike several of the things that we've covered for this show you're unlikely to uh to be upset about the loss of the 108 minutes of your life that's fair. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think that's about as far as I can as I can go at this point. I think it's worth watching. I liked it. Um, I mean, I have issues, but um, I think that this is not like some of the movies we've watched where I'm where I would be like, no, unless you're like us and can't listen to an episode without watching the movie, please don't do it. <laughs> right, or unless it's like a particular area of interest for you, like it is for us or whatever. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I would say yes. I, I would say it's it's worth the. Okay. Five minutes or whatever. So, okay. Well, where would you like to start with Leap of Faith? I have a multiple things that I really liked about this movie and things that I really didn't like. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so here's here's my <clears throat> uh, like on paper, this movie has a lot going for it. Yes. Like the the pitch for this movie sounds fantastic to me. Like it's so it's Steve Martin as this like con man tent revival preacher and it's got Deborah Winger and it's got Liam Neeson. It has goddamn Philip Seymour Hoffman, which I had not remembered. Yeah. Uh, it has Lucas Haas. Great cast. Um, the The main problem, in my opinion, is that. That sounds like the setup for a really, really great comedy. And the movie isn't really a comedy. It's not very funny. Maybe that's a me issue. Like, I'm I'm looking for it to be something that it isn't really trying to be, which isn't necessarily the movie's fault. But I feel like the premise would have worked better as a comedy. And there's a lot of elements in it that feel like it's going for comedy. Um, I have... <sighs> I I was a, a pretty big fan of Steve Martin's stand-up when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was one of my favorites for several years. I still I mean I still think his stuff was was just fascinating and unique, and he he did a lot of really funny stuff. And I feel like his the character's stage persona in this movie 
has so much crossover with Steve Martin's stand-up persona, but I don't think it's really meant to be funny. And it it bothered me consistently throughout the movie because it didn't feel like it didn't feel believable to me as like us this guy who would be like a successful revival preacher like because it just seemed it, his his stand up stuff is always kind of dialed up past the point of believability and that that is how it this his performance on stage in this movie read to me like it didn't seem plausible to me that he would be successful at this the way he was doing it. Hmm. So that was a consistent issue for me. Um, yeah, so that's I guess that's my there there are things that I liked about it, obviously. I you know, like I said, I gave it two and a half out of five. But uh but I, I had a hard time getting past that. Interesting. Okay. Um well my biggest problem was with the ending, but we'll get to that. I Oh yeah, I mean yeah, there's <laughs> the ending is bad. <laughs> yeah. Uh... <laughs> Uh, but that, that ties into the fact that it's not actually a comedy for me. Like the the fact that it it has that ending. Like if you were actually doing a straight comedy, you probably wouldn't give it that ending. But it's trying to be a more serious movie. Okay, so <laughs> things that I liked about this movie, and there were many things that I liked about this movie. Um, the music is fucking fantastic. Uh... <laughs> I, I I have some sort of like back of my head issues about the choir but we'll oh many many we'll get to that but i just mean <laughs> yeah. the music not the choir uh <laughs> the music i loved it was very fun um deborah winger and steve martin love they have love. a really interesting dynamic in this such yeah. an interesting dynamic zero amount of romance just like friends in like a really interesting way and deborah winger just fucking luminously fantastic yeah she's great um uh, she's not someone that i'm super familiar with i've seen her in a couple things but i like if i had just seen a picture of her from or if i had just sat down to watch this movie without having known she was in it i don't think i would have recognized her well she hasn't been she's done it's like but, she's consistently worked over the last few years but it's been like a lot of tv shows and yeah. stuff so i i feel like i haven't seen her much lately like i've watched like her big you know i i watched uh fucking terms of endearment and an officer and a gentleman and like you know i i, I watched yeah i haven't i saw terms of endearment years and years ago i hated it so i don't really remember it that well oh i mean same um, but uh, <laughs> apparently she was an et although it looks like she was just an uncredited role though or oh yeah no she played nurse zombie carrying poodle yeah um uh, probably during the halloween scene i guess that's yeah. probably what that was <laughs> So I, I loved watching her and I particularly loved watching her and Steve Martin in this movie. And I wished that we had had a little bit more of them because I liked all of their scenes together. Um, I also like I I don't I, don't, I also I liked Liam Neeson a lot, although I was amused that this like Irish man was the sheriff of the town and nobody ever. Yeah, he, on he it. didn't quite he didn't quite nail the accent, I don't think. But uh, I mean, <laughs> I, I like Liam. I like Liam Neeson a lot, and it's always interesting because of what his on-screen persona is now. It's interesting to watch him in these older roles where right. he was the furthest thing from like the tough guy action star yeah. thing. He was like he was he was always like the sensitive, thoughtful guy. Yeah. That was his thing. Yeah, it's really it's fascinating the way his career has taken a turn. But uh, I do always like him in these roles. So I love that. 
I gotta say, this is the first movie. So Joel has always loved Steve Martin, and I have always like had fondness for Steve Martin movies. I don't know if I, I actually don't know to this day if I've ever watched a Steve Martin stand up. I know that you have because the first place that I ever saw it was one of the times I was staying at your apartment and we went and rented a bunch of stuff. And one of them was that was the first place I ever saw any of his stand up stuff. Well, I'm glad it's stuck yeah. with you. Apparently not with me. <laughs> it did. I still I could still quote parts of that. That's special. amazing. Um, I had so, yeah several of them on, on discs and stuff too. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I, I've always liked Steve Martin, but I think partly because Steve Martin has like, you know, we, we grew up with him. Right. I mean, like he, you know, yeah. I was eight when leap of faith came out. Like, you know, I mean, all of these movies were movies where he was like, not just an adult when we were young, but because of the white hair, I always read him as like an older adult. My point in this is that Steve Martin was a stone cold Fox in 1982. <laughs> and there's a scene in this movie. This is not like a meaningful part of the movie, but it is something I keep thinking about where there is a scene in this movie, in which he is jogging in jeans and yeah. a cowboy hat yeah, and crop tops. And yeah, the best jogging outfit I've ever seen. Yeah. And I am fucking here for it. <laughs> yeah, no, I was I was definitely planning on bringing this up. Yeah, cause... he looked amazing. We need to re-encourage men to wear more crop tops. I was so here for this. <laughs> I did appreciate that at least the movie pointed out that it was weird that he was jogging in a cowboy hat. Yeah, like that. And then he and then he was just like, I used to jog in boots. <laughs> Uh, but in general, like the, you know, I actually didn't feel like there were a couple of moments. The the um, disco ball jacket maybe went a little far. That was a lot, wasn't it? But yeah. that said, I don't know, man. Like thinking of some of these like bigger name uh, like preachers like he does like he is in this i i don't know if it actually is that much more over the top like is this really much more over the top than benny hinn or like like i, I well, don't I'm, know that it I'm is thinking i'm thinking like um that that what was it called the documentary that we covered for this earlier marjo Marjo, Marjo, right. I, to me, this is it's a completely different register from what that guy was doing. And I, and it's possible that if I wasn't as familiar as I am with Steve Martin's stand up, I might not have this issue. Uh, it, and there is, you know, there's there is a lot of crossover between the art of the like revival preacher and the stand up comedian. They're, they are not entirely separate categories. I mean, they're putting on uh, a show. But, That's... Some, it was I, I, it may just be a me issue, honestly, because it's something to do, like it just it it just felt like he was doing he, like it, to me it felt like he was breaking out this familiar character from a completely different thing of his hmm. for the for those scenes in the movie whereas the rest of the movie he was very different from that and obviously that's like you know his stage persona is supposed to be very different from how he actually was that's kind of, but because his stage persona was something that i knew from something else it was very distracting to me. Interesting. I didn't really feel that way. I um, I thought this was a really interesting performance of Martin's. I I think he put a lot into the character that maybe wasn't necessarily there in some mm. ways. It was a movie that reminded me of what a good actor he is. When I think of Steve Martin, I think of him like my like core Steve Martin performance is Father of the Bride. Oh, really? that's the movie we watched growing up. 
like Sergeant was... Bilko for me. That was the oh, one that no. I watched the most. Yeah, but I think we watched Father of the Bride first. Maybe I don't know. It I would definitely... be a combination of those two, though. Yeah, they probably would. They would have come around at about the same time, probably. But... Um, and of course, people I... still like Father of the Bride, and everyone hates Sergeant Bilko. Uh, I haven't seen Sergeant Bilko since I was a kid, so I don't know if it would hold up for me at all. But I- I've avoided doing so because I assume. Yeah, I'm a not. little nervous about uh, it. <laughs> I do occasionally like it. Is there are not a lot of movies. I'm not good at remembering direct quotes from movies there. And like, there aren't a lot, like there are people who like sort of pepper their conversation with like, you know, quotes or whatever from films. And I've never been one of those people. And it's probably partly because I don't rewatch movies that much, but uh, (laughs) like the movie I quote from the most, and it's less like a quote. It's more like the intonations, but like the movie that I quote from the most is Muppet Christmas Carol. And I mean, I probably quote from that once a month. And then the 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 one quote from Sergeant Bilko <laughs> that for some reason has come up a lot in my life is him just saying, "One, we're going for one." Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I have like very fond feelings towards Martin, as if like fond, and I think. Why I went first to Father of the Bride is because my fond feelings towards Martin feel very, like, dad-like. Mm. Not like how mm-hmm. I feel towards my dad, but how one right. might feel towards the dad. Right. <laughs> like, even though he's kind of awful in Father of the Bride, but, like, you know, his his sensitive, sappy scenes with his daughter were very... Um, I liked them. Uh, (laughs) So I I think that overall, like my feelings towards Martin are both fond and also feel like very rooted in like a childhood affection for him. Um, Although I do, I I like him as a writer. I haven't, I guess I've only read Shop Girl, but I thought Shop Girl was remarkably good. I read Shop Girl as well when I was, because I I did, like I said, I went through a period when I was... I, right. It was a big deal for me as a comic and stuff. And I, I read Shop Girl, and I think I read his other one, too. I can't remember what his other one is called. Yeah, I only read Shop Girl, but... but um, I remember liking them both. Yeah, I remember being I mean, really it's been a impressed. long time. I mean, that was, that was yeah, 12 years ago or 15 years ago. As so. far as I know, he hasn't been called out for anything terrible. <laughs> yeah, not that I know of. His He seems to be pretty content to just, like, stack up Grammys for his banjo playing these days. <laughs> I mean, which good for him. I mean, right. As far as a retirement life goes. Yeah. He had, he had a special that him and Martin Short did for Netflix a couple years ago. That was, that was, I I watched it. I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, the two of them, you know, they've been working together for decades and they're both, they're both funny guys. So, so yeah, I mean the, the basic, so the, the movie starts with him, like they're on their way somewhere in this caravan and the, uh, they get pulled over by a cop and Martin does this, like makes bets that he's going to be able to get off the hook for the bus going 80 and a 55 or whatever it was. Right. Um, and then he proceeds to, excuse me. And then he proceeds to use his, uh, to use his skills to get the cop right. sobbing he has this, about his... He has this, like, it's like if uh, like if Sherlock Holmes used his powers for evil. Like, <laughs> it's it's not it. even evil, really. I well, mean, okay, like... no, it's, yeah, no, that's, you're right, that's overstating it for, for selfish reasons. Right, I mean, like, it happens to be good for the guy, probably. Um, yeah. 
like that's not why he did it. I'm sure he would have done something else. <laughs> but I think it's it's important that that is what they start off with. Like they mm. start off with showing him do this thing where he basically like reminds the guy about his daughter who he hasn't talked to and is like she loves you and blah blah, blah and like ends up convincing him to like call her. <laughs> right. Um and so it, it ultimately feels like a selfishly motivated but what ultimately works out to beneficial act. Right. And <laughs> kind of his whole <laughs> right. that's kind of his whole thing, or at least that's his whole justification for his thing. But Which like so He's not totally wrong, but He's not totally wrong. I mean the bus the bus breaks down they end up in this tiny ass town in Kansas for like four days because they're waiting for a part, so he decides they're gonna set up shop. In Kansas. Right. Set up their big tent. You know. And it's this very poor town that um, is basically all farmers and they're in a drought. Right. And th- there was a mill that closed down and they haven't had rain in five years, basically. Right. So <laughs> it's, exactly. It's like half of America right now. Exactly. <laughs> um, and the sheriff is played by Liam Neeson. Uh, who is not thrilled about having them here, and right. but doesn't have like yeah. a legal way to stop them. Right. His initial reaction is like, "You're not. I'm not letting you do this because th- there's no way these people can afford to give con men like you their money right now." Which is a very uh, exactly the appropriate response, I think. But, right. But right, and then Martin points out like, "Hey, I can call some lawyers, and you'll be out of a job so fast if you try to actually stop me." So he so. doesn't, and so he sets up, and he has this whole team. They have, like, three buses worth of people. But the ones who we see are Deborah Winger, who he has apparently been friends with for quite a long time. Which we never really specifies, like, how they know each other, but... Yeah, but they've got this whole routine down where she... He wears an earpiece, and she sits in the back with the... Uh, looking at cameras and stuff, and... And they, know, like, finding, come up with... They, like, come up with code. Him. They, like, come up with yeah. code for, like, you know questions so that he knows what to answer and like you know she's she's the one who runs all the behind most of the behind the scenes of the con and then he has a bunch of other people who like help out with you know all of right. the things so they, that you would need they go up and talk to people and you know learn things about them and pass that on and run the lights and the sound yeah. and all of that kind of stuff one of those people is a very young philip seymour hoffman yeah my heart uh, I know. I wish I wish he'd had more to do in this, which not like, you know, he was he was it would have been weird for him to have a large role in this at this point in his career. But yes. um, and then what the one of the other dudes I recognize too, the heavier. Yeah, yeah, that was um, MC Ganey. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's a, he's a, you know, classic character actor guy. He's been in a ton of stuff. Yeah, and then Meatloaf is the is Meatloaf the piano player, yeah, plus bus driver, yeah. <laughs> um, so you know, it's, a, it's sort of this like grouping of you know characters, and then he has the choir, and I think it is worth talking about the choir, which felt kind of racist. Yeah. Um, because yeah. it appears, did I like it appears like all of the white people seem to understand the con that they're pulling? Okay, I was gonna bring this up because there was I wasn't sure if I caught that correctly, but there was there was a line where he said, "Be careful, the angels will catch on" or something, and the angels are what they call the choir, and so you kind of get the impression that they are unaware of what's happening, which is bananas. Yeah. Um, and so there's like two two women particularly who like have side conversations about him periodically and seem to like actually believe that which they're is, basically the only ones that actually get lines other than the singing. The yeah. rest of them, the rest of them are only really on screen when they're singing. 
So that's unfortunate because it doesn't land great. <laughs> well, but the, well, but the two the the two that we actually get like some conversation with and stuff, they must know what's going on because they were in the bus at the start when he was doing his whole spiel with the cop. So they saw yes, all that go down. They be- like I know but, that they believe that he like where, but I think they also believe he's anointed by God. Maybe. Because, like, that's why she bet against him initially. She was, like, my allegiance. Right. Um, And, like, periodically they'll, like, side comment about, like, you know, his backstory. And the one woman's like, he told me his dad invented Teflon. And, like... Right. See, I was... Yeah. And there was the the scene of them in the diner when they first got there where he he goes into one of his little... I don't even remember what it was about. And they're, like, the rapt audience. And I was confused. I was like, wait a minute. Aren't these people with him? Yes. What? Yeah. It doesn't land great. Yeah. It feels like they're just supposed to be stupid. No. And then he also had the line in the, the there was one scene where he comes out on stage as the preacher while they're all singing and he says something about being in a white man's heaven, which <laughs> yeah. I'm not even sure exactly what that's supposed to mean, but it definitely seems like a problem. Seems not great. Seems not great. And like, yeah. to, again, typically the music in this is fabulous. And yeah, I don't know if it's like, I don't know if it's a job. real choir, if they were the ones who actually recorded the 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 songs but they sounded great i assumed it was but who knows um, uh, it would make sense if they were but i don't know so so yeah it sounded great the music is great apparently they made this movie into like a broadway musical um, oh really which i would be curious about but i saw that in passing somewhere anyway so they get to town and he is a thing that I ran into in this movie is that I am is that again my affection for Steve Martin I know gets in the way of other things I would normally be feeling. Like he's kind of the worst. Like he like <laughs> his character yeah, yeah. No, he's terrible. He yeah. like but I get but like it's important for the arc of the movie that you feel that you don't just think he's just an asshole. Right. Um and, well, and that, I mean, that was kind of Martin's wheelhouse. Right. I mean, like you mentioned, his character in Father of the Bride is kind of a jerk, and his character in Sergeant Bilko is basically a con man. And he's, I mean, you know, he he did a lot of that. Like he 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 could do the not quite to the Bill Murray level of like the likable asshole, but he he had a similar thing going. Like when he comes into the he comes into the restaurant and he sees um, Marva, which is a weird name. Uh, play- yeah, that's another problem with this movie. Well, <laughs> played yeah. by uh, Lolita Lolita Davidovich, Davidovich, um, who I've definitely seen yeah. in like a thousand things. Oh, yeah. Have you? I didn't recognize her at all. Oh, I thought it was kind of weird. She's been in a lot of shitty television. Um, she uh, was in, I don't know if that was. Apparently she was in Gods and Monsters, which I saw. I guess she was in JFK, Adventures in Babysitting. I've never seen either detective. of those. You watched that. Which season was she in? I don't know. It says 2015. Isn't that the first one? Maybe. Who was she? Cynthia Woodrow. That doesn't sound familiar. I don't know. She, she, she might have just been a... Huh? She was in four episodes. She has two names. Um, yeah. She was in Blood and Oil, which was a really shitty CW show that I did watch all of. It was just the first season. It was just one season, but I did watch that. Um, she was really good in that. To me, she looks a little like... Um, a little like a a second-rate version of um, of Mrs. Coach. 
What's oh, name? oh yeah, from from Friday Night Lights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can she, kind of see that. She yeah. she just, she has a similar. I mean, it's partly the the reddish hair, but she she has a similar vibe. Anyway, I've seen her in several things. I definitely recognized her. Um, she's partly done dirty in this movie by the fact that she's just not Deborah fucking Winger, who. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so she's just like not. But she whatever. She's a waitress. She immediately has no time for J- Jonas Nightingale. Is what Steve Martin goes by. Yep. She immediately has no time for Jonas's chick, and he doesn't know why, and like it bothers him that she's not charmed by him, which amuses me a little bit because I'm just like, come on, man! Like there have to have been other people who are not charmed by you. Like that <laughs> cannot be the that, only that whole, time. That whole plot line was so weirdly underdeveloped, though. It was. It was. Or crazy. like it, not even underdeveloped. Like it, it, they are. It was. <laughs> It was, it was weird because they, they had that first scene where they met at the diner and he's immediately hitting on her and she's clearly not interested. And then they have one other scene together where he comes back and plays chess with her brother, who is important to the plot, and is just continually hitting on her. And she's completely uninterested and tells him this story about, you know, she, she's not interested in con man preachers because they've just been hurting her brother, whatever. And he just, like, drops it after that. And she's almost never in the movie again, which. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess maybe that's good that he actually did back off after that, but it's just weird because it was set up as it was like it was going to be like a big subplot, and then it it was not at all. It was not. That's true. Uh, <laughs> so they set up the tent, they get going, they do the whole thing, and we see a lot of like of the behind the scenes shtick, like Joel was saying. Deborah sits in the bus most of the time with like cameras and all of this kind of stuff, and she'll be like, you know, red shirt in section B has back pain, and he'll be right. like, and I pray to the Lord that the Lord will relieve you of your back pain, and like, right. you know, I, things like that. Um, and then, of course, beforehand, they do what I have seen in other things before they do a thing where they like have their people like in the audience, like roaming around overhearing bits of conversation and like, right. So, and those and the verge of divorce. So, and so, you know, that sort of thing. Right. And they, like they had the one old lady that they, they put in the wheelchair, even though she wasn't actually in a wheelchair so that they could stage it to make it look like he had made her walk. <laughs> right. Um, they have wheelchairs and crutches that they bring with them. Yeah. They have, um, you know, it's a, it's a whole production. It's a whole thing. And again, I feel like they put a few things into these scenes to soften what they are doing. Um, for example, Deborah's like Deborah Winger. What is her actual name? Uh, Jane. Jane is Jane and Jonas. Jane is like, um, you know, so and so in this in this row is pregnant, and then she's like, "This is a small town, Jonas. Don't." Don't call her out right. for being knocked up. Uh, so think so. Some things like that that are, and this is the thing for a movie that literally has twice at the end the repeat of a line that is essentially you can't have it both ways. This is a movie that really, really wants to have it both ways. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that wants to be about sort of the showmanship and con art- artistry of this thing. And also be like, but God maybe does exist and maybe you just can't (laughs) know. Yeah. And I found that unpleasant. I mean, the end just feels like a cop out. But so like whatever. And Jane is trying to like uh, sort of charm the sheriff who is not interested in being charmed about their um, 
operation, but is interested in being charmed by Jane. Uh, <laughs> and she's genuinely interested in him too. Yeah, to she be thinks fair. he's cute because she's, he's young. She's not running Liam. the same thing. That no, and yeah. he's young fucking Liam Neeson. He is extremely cute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and so she's you know she's kind of into his thing, and you can see her throughout the movie kind of wondering, like you know, could could she settle down? Could she whatever? And the movie doesn't really answer that question. I'm going to assume the answer was no. But the movie doesn't really give us an answer as to whether or not she stays. I would hope not. She knew him for three days. She would get so. Yeah. Uh (laughs) Yeah. No matter how many butterflies he pulled out of the fields. But we'll see. I kind of think that the movie, like, it almost seemed like it, it made the decision like there could only be one romantic subplot. So they went with the one with her and Liam Neeson, which I think was the good, the correct decision. Uh, It was a lot less uncomfortable well that's just it is that i think that the movie was consistently trying not to veer too far into like we had to still find jonas to be a sympathetic character who did not see himself as a bad guy right but it it never really it never really explores that or pays it off in any meaningful way it's just it's it's weird but they whatever they have their they have the first we see a lot of them like going around town and collecting people jonas has a point where he goes up to a bunch of boys playing basketball and says you know if i sink this shot will you guys come to the meeting tonight and right. sinks the shot <laughs> um, we also get unfortunately philip seymour hoffman hitting on high schoolers sure do that was that was, sure that was his character's thing <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like to hit on children. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he's was... supposed to be very old. But, no, I think but, he's probably yeah. supposed to be like early twenties, but it's Maybe. still a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> he looked very young to me, but regardless, yeah, yeah. it's still definitely kind of skeezy. Um, well, and like, you know, there's definitely the impression that Jonas goes, or I mean, uh, Jane has a line to him at some point where she's like, "You should leave this woman alone. You should stick with your." I can't remember what she called them, like Jesus beggars or something like that. Oh, Bible bangers, I think. Bible bangers. Um, So, you know, I mean, we're definitely supposed to get the impression, I think, that Jonas is finding women to... I mean, sure. They're they're basically a rock band on tour. Like, that is the vibe of the bus, and that's, like, that's kind of the vibe of the road crew, and... Yeah. Yeah, they're... Yeah. And and so they, you know, they do the first show. It goes goes pretty well. Um, And there are moments in the movie, again, where Jonas is apparently supposed to be having, like, I guess, twinges of conscience, or, like... People aren't responding in the way that he thinks they will. I don't know. He tells some story in the first meeting about a family who, like, lost their house in a tornado and lost right. everything they owned and all of this kind of stuff. And afterwards, a woman from town is, like, comes up, approaches him in the street and is like, you know, I um, I heard about that. My, my husband has been out of work and it's a hard time putting food on the table. And he's like, you know, it's, you know, come by tonight to the tent, ma'am. We'll see what we can do about your problem. And she's like, Oh no, that's, that's not what I meant at all. I, I made this thing for maybe you can right. see that it gets to this family. And you can see he's like a little bit like, huh? But then, you know, he goes in and gives it to the, <laughs> the diner. Uh, right. <laughs> but like, I think it's after the first show that Liam Neeson, shows up and, and again tries to like call him out and is like this is not okay like these people don't have any money they're they're getting like they're getting their property repossessed they're getting like you know you can't you can't take money from these people and jonas gives what is like his explanation for why he is okay with what he does which is essentially that you know like if you go to broadway he 
You go to Broadway, you pay $65 for a ticket. Mm -hmm. Those were the days. Um, (laughs) And, you know, maybe you like the show and maybe you don't. But, you know, that's like I I put on a good show. I put on a good show and people come out of this feeling a little better, feeling a little bit of hope they hadn't had. And like, I think essentially like I think that's worth being paid for. Mm-hmm. Which, like, I don't even think is, like, inherently incorrect, but, like, the le- like the trickery that goes into it is complicated because people do- – it's just it's, – it's a power thing that is – Right. I mean, he's putting on a magic show with the people don't realize that he's not actually a magician. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, there's definitely some ethical – There is, but you can at least see from that thing, like, why he – is okay with this. And eventually we find out about his tragic backstory or whatever. Uh, (laughs) And um, yeah, I don't know. They have the, they have the, I mean, a lot of the, the centerpieces of the movie are these big revivals of him doing his thing and us seeing what they're Mm -hmm. doing. And um, he has a sweet moment. Deborah Wayne, uh, Jane really wants a, um, a great Dane. Uh, and she, right. she wants to go get, and he's just like, you can't keep a great date on a bus. And she's like, why not? Which honestly is a great question. Great Danes do not need a lot of exercise. <laughs> yeah. Which is, I've heard that before too, that they're actually good apartment dogs, yeah. which is very counterintuitive, but, but I mean, you know, space wise, it might be a problem, but in terms of, so, uh, you know, and then at some point he like takes off in the middle of the night and he comes back and he brings her his very cute great Dane puppy. Um, and is like, I was worried about your lack of companionship. And they have like these cute moments together, which again, I really, I really genuinely appreciate any movie that has like friendship between a man and a woman that doesn't seem to be sexual anyway. Like, you know, they may have, mm-hmm. they may have fucked at some point, but it's not like important. Yeah. I feel like I kind of assumed that they do occasionally, but right, but like, it's yeah. not like a thing. It's like, not the centerpiece of their, no, like yeah. there's nothing romantic between them. They get each other. He trusts her probably as much as he trusts anyone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it's it's nice. It's nice. It's very like it's very sweet. I, I liked that a lot, especially like I feel like I don't know. I feel like in the late 80s, early 90s. And I mean, this still happens sometimes. But I feel like, you know, with when Harry met Sally and some of these other things, there was a lot of focus on like men and women can't be friends. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, and so it was, it was nice. I, I really, really liked their relationship. And I wish there had been more of it. Um. And he's got some ring. Do we ever do we find out where he got the ring? I mean, the ring. Is I don't clearly... think we learned the backstory for the ring. It's it's like a thing that he just keeps with like his. I mean, he has a bunch of like, you know, like jewelry that he he. There was a whole thing with him. He puts on this little performance in the diner with his watch that he claims is was right. like a gift from his mother when he graduated from seminary, and then he just breaks it and throws it into the water to demonstrate that things are not valuable without faith or whatever. And then you see him with a a big like gallon Ziploc full of identical watches. <laughs> so I, it, I feel like it was kind of part of his his uh, his costume set or something. Right, but so, for uh, some reason she, she really wants liked it, it. For some reason, yeah. And it's clearly like a bit between them that she always yeah. asks, you know, when can I have the ring? And he's like, when I die, but not if you kill me. That's in my will. Uh, right. <laughs> and whatever. And so they have they have a cute thing. They have a cute thing going, and um, she clearly is feeling somewhat more moral compunctions, perhaps partly because of Liam Neeson. 
than right. he does. Well, and, and part of part of their thing, and he he says this to Liam Neeson in that scene too, is that he, they usually only play towns that can afford them. Right. Like that. I mean, probably not for altruistic reasons, just because they'll make more money there. But that is usually how they operate. Right. The only reason they're in this little town is because their truck broke down. <laughs> so, right. So this is like outside. All, of I think they're all feeling a little bit like a little icky about what they're doing. But I mean, not all. I don't think Philip Seymour Hoffman or <laughs> they don't seem to be bothered. Um, anyway, so at some point he does have this scene in the in the diner with Marva uh, and her brother, played by Lucas Haas, um, who has. Right, who, it's always weird. To, I know that Lucas Haas has been like, you know, he's been acting since he was a little kid. And I think most people probably associate him primarily as a child actor. I always my primary association with association for him will always be Brick. He played the pin in Brick. Oh yeah, <laughs> which is one of my favorite movie villains, and I think he's so goddamn good in that role. Like there's there's a a lot of layers to that character that he does perfectly. He's great. Uh, that is always the main thing that I think of with him. So I've seen him as a kid in a couple things, and it's always weird. <laughs> oh, it's funny. I think I do still primarily associate him as a kid actor. I forgot that he was the the pin in Brick. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, he has. Some sort of confusing leg injuries that require him got, to walk. Yeah, no, it was like a drunk driving accident. A drunk trucker. That's Yeah, a, a drunk trucker, yeah. Uh, and, and his parents died in the accident, and he... Not was, only that, yeah, but he was trapped in the car for multiple hours while watching his parents die. Yeah, it sounded pretty awful, didn't pretty it? Pretty fucking bleak. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, you know, the doctors have tried things, and nothing. they don't seem to be able to get him better and then at some point he asked her if he could to take him to like a preacher a healing preacher and she did and when he couldn't make him better the preacher told uh told the kid that it was his fault because he didn't have enough faith right which is the that is the they even they they refer to steve martin cynically refers to that as their malpractice insurance in the movie that line (laughs) and so steve martin plays a game of chess with the kid where the kid is clearly aware of it and sort of amused by the fact that uh, Steve Martin is hitting on his sister. Um, she says something like, I don't need another creep trying to go through my brother to get me into bed, which mm-hmm. makes me wonder how many times that has happened. Right. Uh, <laughs> but he, he likes this kid who is sincere and sweet and who understands like sleight of hand and stuff, it, you know, f- you know, has understands a show, but still believes and they have, you know, later he run while he's doing the fabulous jogging, uh, <laughs> he runs into the kid lifting weights in the middle of a field somewhere, which I thought was weird, but whatever. Uh, yeah, it was like next to a baseball field. Yeah. I don't, so it was like the, that was like the town's gym or something. I don't know. It was weird. Uh, and the kid says his dad used to lift weights and he's like, you know, practicing getting better. And they have this conversation where he's like, you know. The, the kid says something like God has a plan or a purpose or something. And Jonas is like, you better have done everything you can because God doesn't care. <laughs> right. He's not going to do it for you. Yeah. He's not going to do it for you. If you've done everything you can do, great. But, like, um, and, you know, they have sort of a nice little exchange and then he jogs off. Mm-hmm. And Liam Neeson tries his damnedest to upset the whole thing, uh, he does a background check on Jonas and, you know, pops up in the middle of one of his shows 
and like announces to everyone that that's not even his real name. His real name is something else. He was not born in where the Appalachian Mountains. <laughs> he was yeah, he said he was born in a cabin in the Appalachians. Yeah, uh, with a call over his face. Yeah, um, and that. Uh, you know, he was in an orphanage for a lot of his life and that he got charged with a bunch of felonies and stuff. And, you know, now he, they, you know, if you want to, and he says, like, if you want to give your money to a show, like, that's fine. But if you think that you're giving it to a man of God, like, you're not. Mm-hmm. And for a second it works. And you can tell that Jonas is, is hit just because, like, having his childhood put out like that, I think, was hard. So he takes a minute and then he comes back and then he goes into a whole spiel which I can't believe Liam Neeson didn't see coming, uh, <laughs> is essentially like, yes, I did. I did all of these really bad things. I was a really terrible sinner. And that's what you need for those. Right. <laughs> like, you need someone who has experienced these things. And I am that person. God has called me to this. And right. You know. Gloss past the fact that he had been lying to them like five minutes earlier. And right. <laughs> And he's like, you know, Liam Neeson continues to try for a second and is like, you're, you know, so-and-so, your house was put in foreclosure this week. How much did you put in the bucket? What did you, and you know, and then Steve Martin's like, take it back, take it back, take all the money back. We don't want your doubt money. Don't want your doubt money. God doesn't need doubt money. And, um, and then they, uh, they plant additional twenties in some of the, in some of the money they're giving back to people so that they wake up the next morning and think that God has doubled their money or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a kind of funny moment where the two where Philip Seymour Hoffman and the other guy realize that they both slip twenties into it. A- <laughs> Cause someone was like, I got 50. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, he, he always has, he always has a back door. He always has a way. Um, and, yeah, she, Jane is feeling increasingly, she at some point makes a comment like, you know, these people are so poor, and he just like, doesn't have any patience for that. <laughs> it's like, whatever. Yeah. Like, he's, I would say that he is also somewhat uncomfortable, but isn't about to let this, like, alter his view on humanity. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and then he pulls off a quote-unquote miracle where their statue of Jesus has open eyes. Right. Whatever had closed eyes now it has opened eyes and then a which i so there's like thousands like like twice the population of the town like comes into the town and i was like this would actually theoretically potentially make some of the town's people money right like there would be <laughs> there would be people at the restaurants and the use we see people selling things and the right like, it would sort of inadvertently have at least a temporary monetary impact. <laughs> uh, that is a really yeah. You think so? Yeah. That is a really disgust. But so there's people like camping out in fields or whatever. Because what the fuck else is there in Kansas but fields? I genuinely mm-hmm. don't know. Um, and you know Liam Neeson is sure that it's a trick, but can't prove it. So just sort of has to helplessly watch as the people of his town keep handing over their money to this man. Uh, <laughs> and for some is still not mad at Jane about it for no reason that I can like functionally determine except that she's hot and charming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and I think my in my un, like 
the way that I read it in the movie was that Steve Martin was like not jealous of Liam Neeson, but like feeling insecure and frustrated that Jane was like and it's not it's not an over the top thing. I just feel like it comes out in some of their interactions that she you know, she's like pretending to be this person that in his mind. <clears throat> That like you know that like what you're gonna settle down with this guy you're gonna like <laughs> yeah. this isn't like what their relationship is based on and I feel like that adds some tension to what things are when after Liam Neeson does the whole call out thing she gives she gets mad at him and gives him a whole speech um, later where we find out that his you know he, his mom how old did she say he was eight ten something like that. Um, his mom like left him on a street corner in the Bronx. I think I think I think it was five. Was it five? Was it was five. very young. Yeah. Um, left him on a street corner in the Bronx. Said she'd be right back. And four days later, he was still waiting for her. And then he went to the orphanage and still thought she would come back. And eventually, you know, realized that wasn't going to happen. And Liam Neeson says accurately, um, "The prisons are full of stories like that." <laughs> right. Um, and she, and her view on it is like, yes, that's true. He could have done much more harmful things. He could have killed a bunch of people. He could have done all of these things. But instead, he does this. And to her, this feels less bad. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, but the two of them keep having issues and they get enough. They never really. I mean, he leaves her a thing, but like they never really like make up. No, not really. Um, because, you know, he's he's upset about what's going on and, and is not good at dealing with his feelings and or admitting he has them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's, you know, at some point she's like, I can't believe I defended you. Like, she feels like he's taking advantage in ways that he doesn't need to because he's like doubling down, which is probably true. Uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah. so they have the big service at the end. And he's doing all his healing and, you know, hitting people in the face and knocking them over, <laughs> whatever. And uh, and then Luke and Lucas Haas's character comes in and comes up to the front and is like, what about me? And you see him like, look at him and be like, nope. <laughs> right. He tries to he tries to avoid it. Yeah. Tries to avoid it. He's like, oh, the Lord, I'm all out of healing power. The Lord is, you know, I'm, I'm all I'm all tapped, whatever. Um, right. He goes back. But then the crowd is all up in a frenzy and they want one more healing power. And so then he comes back and feels like he can't avoid him. So then he starts setting the stage to blame Liam Neeson. Right. Where he's like, you know, there every person in this room has to really believe this will happen, and you know, the the fate of a child rests in the hands of a cynic. Right. We yeah. all know that that the sheriff doesn't believe, but he's here, so. Right. Uh, yeah. Which you know is a clever, a clever route. Although uh, you think that would have prevented the other ones from working too, but yeah, well, you know. uh, no one's supposed to think too hard about it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so the kid comes up with his crutches and comes up to the Jesus statue. And at some point, like, falls back a little bit. But then it works. Mm-hmm. He starts walking. He starts walking, and he's healed. And Steve Martin is very upset. <laughs> Does not fucking know what just happened. Initially, he tries to claim that this kid and his mom were pulling a con on him. Okay. Right. That's his first thought, that he had been taken by... <laughs> Uh, Although I don't know what he thought they were. Right. Well, and I think that's why he eventually jumps off of that onto something else is that there's no obvious benefits that they would get from this. Um, And like he he's very upset comes in like and, you know, Jane is like, you can tell me what how did you do that? (laughs) (laughs) And it eventually realizes that that he didn't. 
uh, and that he's upset because he didn't. And then the, the rest of the crew come in and they're all like so excited. They're like, this is going to be all over the news. We're going to be able to play like Dallas and like these really big, big venues. And they're like, we could take the kid with us. Like, you know, we right. Get him to reenact it. Get yeah. him to reenact it. Like, you know how much money we would take it. And you can see like Jane looking at him like, what? Because, you know, she's the one who's real. They don't even bother to ask how he did it. Like, they don't right. <laughs> they don't care, but she knows. And, you know, he kind of looks at them for a minute. And he's like, yeah, do it. And then he goes stomping out, um, has a moment of conversation with Jesus of something like, why'd you make so many suckers in the world yeah. or something like that? Sure. Yeah. And then the kid shows up and the kid is like, I want to go with you. Take me with you. And he's like, no, <laughs> not happening, yeah. like, not happening. Um, and the kid's like, he's like, look, I didn't do anything. And the kid repeats back to something that something that he said in their chess game earlier, which was essentially like, what difference does it make if you like what difference do your motivations make? If it works. Right. If it works. Yeah. And he's like, it makes all the difference in the world, which I'm like, I mean, does it? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Practically, I I guess. Like, I don't know. Well, it doesn't. It certainly doesn't make any difference from the kid's perspective. No. I mean, yeah. But he, you know, he's like, I want to go with you. I want And like, you can see. And I do think this is a a performance from Steve Martin that is, is quite good. I feel like you can see in his eyes, like he's thinking about it. He's thinking about, you know, the kid does have some skill. Like he, mm-hmm. <laughs> he would probably be a great asset, and also thinking about himself as a kid, and you right. know, not wanting, you know, he doesn't want this kid to be in this world, and but the kid keeps sitting there staring at him with giant eyes, and finally, <laughs> I'm unclear on how old he was supposed to be. Like he could have been twelve or he could have yeah. been seventeen. I have no idea. Yeah, I think he was he was probably supposed to be a little bit younger than than Lucas Haas actually was, if I had to guess. But yeah. I don't think it says. And so he says, I'll, I'll meet you. I'll pick you up outside the cafe tomorrow at 10. Right. And the kid gives him this huge hug and he's barely just going to run off on his sister. Uh, and his sister's yeah, there apparently. and she comes up and gives him this whole, you know, I'm, I'm always going to be grateful. Thank you so much for what you did, whatever. And he just kind of looks at her and he's like, OK, um, tomorrow your brother's going to be waiting outside the diner. And I want you to tell him that just because someone shows doesn't show up doesn't mean they didn't care about you. Um, so doing a little work on his inner child there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then he takes off. <laughs> he, he leaves his sparkly jacket with a letter for Jane. And in the letter, he includes the ring. Mm-hmm. Um, and he hitches a ride with a trucker on his way out of town. And as he's on his way out to ta- out of town, it starts pouring down rain. Right. And he, you know, does a lot of laughing and then whoops pretty right. easily. And there's there's a lot of scenes of farmers and townspeople, dancing. you know, dancing around in the rain with inspiring music playing yeah. and yeah. And that's how the movie ends, which is weird. A uh, bit. <laughs> He's heading to Florida to do God knows what, because as far as I can tell, he has no skills that are not con man. I so mean, like, you know, there's there's plenty of legal ways to use con man skills. Sure. <laughs> but, um, just take it off to Florida. 
Um, yeah. and, Especially uh, in Florida. Hell, yeah. that's. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess the, you know, the show will probably go on and they'll find a new preacher would be my guess. Yeah, maybe Lucas Haas will take it over. <laughs> I would watch now. that sequel. <laughs> yeah, 30 years later, they're still going. <laughs> oh, man. So, so in the end, it seems that we are supposed to, like, we are supposed to understand that, like, God did something. Something real happened. Um, he, he tells the kids something like, you're the real deal. And, like, that's the one thing that you can't, you can't get away from. Right. Uh, whatever the fuck that means. But, like, you know, some kind of actual miracle happened, not summoned by him, but just provided by God when he felt like it. Um, and this is supposed to be sort of inspiring. <laughs> yeah. I did not feel particularly inspired. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think I would have been okay with the rain ending. That maybe would have just seemed a bit more like... I mean, it's the obvious ending, right? That right. That is clearly, from the moment we hear about how the town's been under drought for five years, it's right. like, okay, well, obviously the movie's going to end with a rainstorm. Right. Uh, but I would have been okay with that one, but the kid being healed was uh, a little too much for me. And of course, this is always like, I mean, of course, there's so much intense ableism built into these spaces. Uh, so there's mm-hmm. that, and that's, that's worth noting. And... <sighs> Again, it felt like the movie was they, – they wanted to have it both ways. They wanted to, like, you know, not have it be too controversial. Because, like, the thing that, that should have happened, in my opinion, is that he doesn't get healed. Right. And, you know, Jonas – like, Jonas could have, like, a crisis of what – like, if that's what you wanted, if you wanted him to have a crisis and be like – he could have that from him not being healed and right. like, what that did to him and, like, seeing – you know, that all of his reasoning why this is actually an okay thing to do is maybe not that compelling in the face right. of... Right. In fact, that that would have worked better as a reason for him to quit what he was doing. Sure would have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, the ending is unfortunate. Overall, I find the movie enjoyable to watch for the most part, but, I mean, it's not, it's not great. <laughs> like... But but Steve Martin in a crop top is great. Sure, but we only get that once. We only like, get it once. It's only for like if only, a few he, minutes. if only he had done that as his preaching uniform. You know, it was it was a real shame. It was a. Real <clears throat> shame. Um, <laughs> so so yeah, I I believe that I gave it a three because I did overall enjoy it, but the issues with it were significant. So, yeah, that's fair. And it, it, the whole thing has this very specific, like, it's never been something that I've quite known how to express or put my finger on. But there was a very specific type of, like, mid-budget, like, yes. m- low-key comedy, but mostly drama, yes. early 90s movie. Kind of ensemble, but focusing on... Right. And Steve Martin did a few of these. Um, and I think I honestly felt a little nostalgic for those watching. This. Like, I don't think that's I think, something we happens anymore. It, it definitely does not happen anymore. Um, but I, I think I think it's fair to say that I do not love that <laughs> genre. I mean, I'm sure there are exceptions, but I, I tend to find them a little underwhelming, I think. Yeah, that's fair. I, I think that it, it just it felt like not something that I loved, but something that had sort of like a warm, safe, nostalgic feel to it. Like mm. This is like a 
this is a thing that we did for a while and now we don't yeah <laughs> and there's things to recommend about it i mean you know it's all shot on like locations in like actual small towns and stuff so it has like a sort of authentic feel to it and in a way that you maybe wouldn't have gotten if they had a bigger budget i guess yeah and yeah. you know they at the, at the at the like the start of the movie they're in this caravan with like three semi trucks and two buses with all their stuff and you know it actually looks like two beat up old buses and three grungy old semi trucks yeah. that they you know they they fixed up from a scrapyard to shoot the movie like yeah so you get you get a vibe from that that uh, it's very specific and i know there are a lot of people for who like really miss that type of movie mm-hmm. but i i don't think i'm one of them yeah, I don't know if I went. I don't know if I went so far as to say I really missed it, but I think it added to my like overall enjoyment of watching it. Mm. One thing that I was thinking about while I was watching this, because I was trying to think like, what would we have talked about, whatever? And I, I suppose we probably would have talked about these evangelism preachers. And I was thinking about how <sighs> trying to think how to put this. How I would have looked at growing up. And certainly we were doing group. I would have looked at this as like this. Yes, these men are lying. I believe that these men, that the men who are doing this are lying. They're conning people. They're not us. They're like different, not real Christians. And I was thinking about what a hard time and like what a consistent thing it has been for me as an adult to like realize and remind myself that many of the people who were teaching us what they were teaching us were also lying. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> that's like actively very hard for me to like, to, for me to accept, even though the things that like, it is much easier for me to believe that they were like true believers who really believed in the things that they were doing and did very damaging things. I don't fucking know. I like, I think about, like, you know, what we what we have learned, like we have we have evidence, we have lots of research and evidence that like there are actually like an insane number of pastors who are having crises of faith or who maybe don't believe in God at all anymore. There are mm-hmm. like, like, you know, it's it's a it's a very isolating field in a lot of ways. There's there's not really a you know, you, you have a power dynamic over people. You are expected to you know, to be the shepherd, so to speak. Right. So there's not as many, as much in the way of people taking care of you. It's definitely like a known thing that pastors face like an incredible amount of burnout, that their children end up being uh, very rebellious and <laughs> having a lot of problems frequently. Like being a pastor's kid is, is a thing much like being a missionary mm-hmm. kid. Um, and I don't know. I assumed that every adult who told me the things that they told me when I was growing up was telling the truth and it is still hard for me, like, you know, the truth is they believed it. Right. And it is still hard for me to think about the fact that could not have been the case. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't have known. <laughs> it wouldn't have been hard to lie to me. It's not hard to lie in that situation. And there's a lot of reasons to do so. Yeah. And like, I don't know. I mean, and, you know, and that's I, I, I again, my tendency is to think that the direct adults that we had in our lives were telling the truth as best they know it, even though that may not be the case. But I think a lot of the people who taught the adults who taught us were lying. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> no, I think the the higher up the power chain you go, the the higher the percentage of outright liars. Right, like no you, question you, about that. You yeah. you, ha- you almost have to. You have to know the game. You have to right. know, and like maybe you know, it's it is a game. Like it is, people make a lot of money, so much money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I really think this was one of the first things for me with Dobson that just like knocked me the fuck over. Was the first time I read something that he had written and realized. This wasn't a mistake. He didn't like say something. He he lied. He like right. clearly, openly lied. And like it's in print. Like I can point to you where he to- changed his story actively. Right. <laughs> like, and I don't believe he didn't know that happened. That like the man who consistently uses research and data in terrible fucking ways and like obviously misleading ways got his minor in his PhD program in research design. Like this is not an accident. He just fucking lied. And I'm sure that he has reasons that he thinks are worth it. That he Mm -hmm. thinks, you know, this is for the, for the good of the plebs, (laughs) the poor, the poor lower people need this. And this is what God wants me to do. Like everyone, very few people are going to be like the monster in their own head. But the idea that people just and the way that my brain like separated out, like, yes, obviously these people are lying. They are doing something totally different. For, but but they weren't like <laughs> yeah. it was different trappings. It wasn't like a substantially different thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like that was so that was so much a part of at least for me, I feel like the way that we were raised and this, you know, immediate shift to like, you know, not all Scotsmen or no true Scotsmen. No true Scotsmen. Yeah. yeah. Like the, you know, well, well they, yeah, they did that. And that, that is a terrible thing to do. And that's how we know they aren't really a Christian. Yeah. (laughs) Which like, you know, at this point in my life, as I, as I don't believe in God, you know, I can, I figure if you claim to be a Christian, I'm going to believe you're a Christian for better or worse, because I just think it's believing in a, you know, going after a certain belief structure. So, yeah, Westboro are Christians. Right. (laughs) And you should have to reckon with that. You should have to grapple with that. You should have to determine, like, not that you're better than, but, like, what about this thing that you are both working off of has both of these things? But, of course, much of evangelicalism is, like, really specifically designed so that you never have to do that. Uh, (laughs) But. Right. It's that thing that, I mean, I think we've we've talked about it a lot, and I think we've talked about it on here before, but one of the the primary tricks of evangelicalism is that they have their own definitions for everything. Yes. So they can make these arguments sort of in the semblance of good faith. Because they're saying, well, this person isn't X, but their definition of X is totally different from what everyone else uses. And it allows them to speak. It's particularly useful, I think, when speaking to people outside of the church, because I feel like I run into this a lot where people who did not grow like for me, it's like a dog whistle. Like I hear certain words and I'm like, oh, nope, I know what you're saying. Even if you're not like if you're not there, like I went to a presentation at some point when I was in my my first practicum for grad school and the presentation was like on this mentoring program that they're doing a few towns uh, north of us. Um, And like they had talked for about three minutes and I was like, they're Christians. They're not saying they're Christians. 
And at no point did they say they were Christians, but they used words and phrases and like, and I confirmed later, but they used words and phrases that like only Christians use or they use them in such a way where I was like, ah, yeah, I see. I see what's happening here. The the first one they used was fellowship. And I was like, no, no one says that outside of. Lord of the mm-hmm. Rings fans, like <laughs> right, Lord of the Rings. That's what I was going to say. That's the only other, <laughs> the only other context that that's used. And there were a bunch of thing them, and but I feel like if you're not, it's like a thing that you grow up with, then you're pretty attuned to it. But if you're not, then when they say yes, we love gay people, you assume they mean what you think of when you say we love gay people. What right. they actually mean is we well, love. Well, they, they, you assume right when they say the word love specifically, right. you assume that. What they, they mean the same thing mean you mean yeah. is we love them enough to torture them if necessary to make sure they don't end up in hell. <laughs> right. We love them enough that they can be sitting in our church, but they can't serve on any anything. We can't marry them, whatever, because that would be validating their lifestyle. We right. like it means all of these things, and they're really good at dodging saying that. But I think. Yeah, you learn this whole like secondary language. I feel like I'm a little rusty at it these days from what I used to be, but um but it is interesting thinking about cuz I'm sure that's what we talked about. I'm sure that's what we mm-hmm. talked about, but people using using God's word in uh like insincere ways and right. you know. But that's not the fault of God's word. That's mm-hmm. <laughs> So, yeah, I don't know. Those are all my thoughts. Do you have any other thoughts you wanted to touch on here? Um, I do have one. This isn't directly related to the movie. It's just kind of funny because I, I was. It occurred to me when we were t- while we were talking about this that I wasn't sure who wrote it. Uh, the the name hadn't stood out to me in the credits or anything. So I was on Letterboxd and I just scrolled over to to find out who wrote it, see if he'd done anything else. And it's a guy named. I, I think it's actually a woman. It's Janice Sarconi. I would I would assume Janice was a. I think I looked it up. Maybe, maybe maybe it is a woman. I don't know. At any rate, did you? They have one other writing credit, at least one other movie writing credit. Yes. <laughs> and do you remember this movie, Ed? I remember With that this movie existed. <laughs> Matt LeBlanc as a minor league baseball player who ends up stuck on a team with a chimpanzee. Yep. <laughs> I remember watching this movie. Yep. Well, it, it is a woman, and she okay. and she also wrote the she wrote a book of this, I think, and then oh, interesting into a screenplay. Okay, um, so maybe she's more of a, a book writer than a screenplay writer. Well, and it looks like she may have been. A, I'm looking at her Twitter right now. She has a lot of posts about the Leap of Faith Broadway show. Oh, okay. So I don't know if she was maybe also involved in that. Um, but Wait, yeah. are you sure? Are you sure it's not the book for the Broadway show that she wrote? I am not. Her bio says book writer slash screenwriter leap of faith. Okay. So anyway, it is a woman though. Okay. Um, But yeah, that I also thought that was weird. So I assume she has been doing work in other, like whether it's with stuff or she's been writing somewhere, but maybe not movies anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, that was, it just, it just, I had completely forgotten that that movie ad existed until I saw it. I don't remember her, anything uh, about her letterbox page. Like, I don't have any specific memories of it either, but I, I remember. I know that we watched it. Well, I know that I watched it. I don't. Yeah, I don't know for sure if you saw it. I, I mean, we were, the, you know, it came out like Jared and I were super into baseball when we were kids, and it came out during that period, and it was a yeah, kids movie, so we rented I mean, it at some point. I was twelve, but, so probably I would have watched it with you. Yeah, 
like if I had been a little older, maybe not. But at that point, I think I watched pretty much anything with you guys that um, it was probably the first thing. (laughs) It was probably the first thing I ever saw Matt LeBlanc in. Probably so. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, that's 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 my my last thought here. Okay. Okay. what are we going to watch next? All right. Uh, how many are we down to? Oh, right. Uh, we are down to 76. 76. Okay. What is number 70? 70. Oh. Um. <laughs> I'd love to hear that. <laughs> it's unborn in the USA. Oh, my God. <laughs> I remember this one being kind of rough even at the time. Yep. Uh-huh. Jesus, is that is that available anywhere? It is rentable on iTunes. It looks like. Let me see if okay. it's available. It seems like a movie that should be on YouTube, but like, doesn't even. They don't even. I'm looking on uh, on Just Watch right now, and they don't even have it. It the first thing that's looks, coming up is it kids in the hall thing. I believe it is available on YouTube um in like parts. Ugh, okay. It looks like it's it looks like it's uh yeah, it looks like there's a playlist of it, which is not ideal, but Okay. Man. Where did we dig up this shit? I'm 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 sure this was me. I'm sure I was looking up. I definitely remember having a fairly intense argument. After this movie, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, oh God, it's a hundred minutes. Why is it a hundred minutes? Okay. Uh, yes, unborn in the USA inside the war on abortion, and the tagline on tagline on the front is how the pro-lifers are winning. Is it on Canopy? Because I see a letterbox review that mentions Canopy. Well, Canopy depends on who you're with Canopy through. So, oh, really? Like, yeah, Canopy doesn't have, like, like Canopy's through schools most of the time, or libraries. Right, I, I knew you get access that way, but I didn't realize that the content they had depended on. Yeah, it depends on oh. what they, they put out. Interesting. Okay, I assumed it was just a streaming service that lets you have access to it if you had, like, a student ID or whatever. Unfortunately not. <laughs> okay, interesting. But um, I'll look into it more if we have to change. I'll tweet it out or whatever, but I... I I assume okay. that this 30 video playlist is the uh, is the full thing, but I don't know. 30 videos. Yeah, it's 105 minutes, which yeah. seems really like this kind of thing. Okay. Anyway, we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll try to find it. If not, <laughs> okay. we'll, we'll do something else. Um, right. Cool. Okay. Well... What have we been watching? Okay. Um, let me see. Oh, one thing that I'll say first, this is a, a bit of a, a behind the times thing on this, but May and I finally finished Shit's Creek yesterday. Oh, yay. Uh, we, we've been like within half a dozen episodes of the end for months, but we're like, <laughs> I, I will say May in particular has a hard time finishing things that she really loves watching. So we've been like really dragging it out. I know, um, but we just watched we just watched the last two uh, yesterday. In it's fact, such a good episode. Yeah, no, it, it ended it ended great, and you know the the whole the whole central romance of that those last couple seasons was fantastic. And yes. yeah, I mean, 
you know, I, I know I'm, I'm like I say, I'm, I'm way behind on the times on this. But did you watch the little 30 minute behind the scenes thing they put out? Uh, we haven't. I, th- I think we're probably going to, but we haven't yet. You should. It's very good. Yeah. Um, well, good. I'm, I'm glad you were able to finish that. I mean, I've watched it three times at this point. So. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's what I said to May. It's like, it's, it's still going to be here. We can always watch it again. And it, it holds up really well. On a yeah. uh, I can see that. I, I had I had a bit of a struggle getting through like the first season and a half the first time I watched it. Same, same. Um, but I could see it. I could see that that stuff all working a lot better if you already like the characters. Yes. So for me, the end of season two is where it finally clicked for me, um, which is a long time to dedicate to a show without it super clicking. I think it's worth right. it, but um, but I think I think they really take their time in like earning those beats, and then yeah. once you already like know them and have seen them, I think the first couple seasons work a lot better. Yeah, and I, I think in the, the the first the first time you're watching it, the first season in particular, it's a little bit d- more difficult to be sympathetic with them, having been like this insanely right. rich family that like, and they they move further and further away from that as the show goes on. Like you almost forget that like, oh yeah, these were like <laughs> insanely rich people who we literally owned you. this town. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah. at any rate, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. Go watch Chits Creek if you Go haven't. People, it's good, good. stuff. Uh, so I also watched. Um, do you know what Lone Wolf and Cub is? No. So it's a it is there's a series of them. Uh, there a series of samurai movies that. Um, oh, and it's a manga. Okay. It was originally a manga. Yeah. You may recognize there's a couple of Bob's Burgers episodes that feature like a yes. send up of Lone Wolf and Cub with Hawk and Chick. Right. I was going to say I'm looking yeah. at the, the covers here and I'm like, oh, it's like that Bob's Burgers thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's it's about this guy who was like the executioner for the, the Shogun and he ends up. Honestly, I was a little bit unclear on exactly what happened because the politics in this period of Japan are very complicated. But I think what happened was that he executed a lord who of of one of the clans on the orders of the shogun. Sure. But the clan had like a lot of this lord had a lot of extremely loyal followers and they re, they they responded by murdering his wife and framing him for sure. to, for being like a traitor to the show. So at any rate, he ends up kind of on the run and. And uh, with his his toddler son. <clears throat> and so he it, it, I'm assuming that this is kind of going to be the structure for all of them where he he's just traveling around and he ends up in a position where he like he ends up helping some people with bad guys, basically. And he has like this uh, this baby carriage that he pushes his son around in that has all these weapons hidden in it. <laughs> like, so I I recently Criterion has a box set of, I think, six of these movies that I recently bought, which is a rare blind buy for me from Criterion. I don't usually buy stuff that I haven't already seen, but uh, they were having one of their uh, their occasional flash sales where all their stuff was 50% off, and they were out of stock of almost all the stuff that I wanted that I'd already seen, so I started looking for other possibilities. <laughs> I, ended up, I ended up buying this box set, and uh, so May and I watched it, and we did a, we did a thing that you're probably going to see some more of going forward, I hope. Where we uh, we did a, a food and movie pairing. Ah, very, uh, very we, good. We went and got some Japanese food and and watched sure. this movie together, and it was great. The movie was, I mean, it's it's a lot of fun. It's it's uh, just you know Gonzo action and blood spray, spraying everywhere. <laughs> like, it's, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to watching more of them. The first one is called Lone Wolf and Cub: Sword of Vengeance. Sure. <laughs> um, 
<clears throat> so let's see. I also watched uh I watched a kind of interesting thing on Mubi called Light from Light. Have you heard of this movie? I don't think so. It's a 2019 movie. I had never heard I didn't hear about it when it came out. Uh it's directed by a guy named Paul Harrell who also did a movie that I saw from 2014 called Something Anything that was about this woman who I, I can't even I can't remember the details now, but I think her her family dies in an accident or something, and it kind of sends her into this like religious uh, seeker journey kind of thing. Mm. But Light from Light has Jim Gaffigan in it hmm. in like the only time I've ever seen him play serious, and it has an actress named Marin Ireland who you'd probably recognize. She was in The Irishman. She played the adult version of one of his daughters. Um, she looks like an actress. I, <laughs> she yeah, doesn't no, you, like, like you, she was in the miseducation of Cameron post as the person with my name. Oh, okay. Um, but I don't, uh, she looks the, like the, a lot of blonde women to me. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> uh, the movie was produced by Elizabeth Moss. So I kind of suspect that she had intended to be in it at one point. Mm. Uh, but so it's about this woman who is like, she kind of has this history of as like a paranormal investigator, although that's not what she's doing by the time the movie starts. She has moved on from that. Uh, but she ends up, she gives like a radio interview where she talks about it. And this preacher hears it and calls her because he has this guy in his church whose wife has died. And he thinks that he's that their house, that like her spirit is maybe still in the house and he's trying to figure out what's going on. Um, so it's kind of like a, a super, super low-key ghost story. And it's interesting. It wasn't like a great movie, but it was an interesting movie. Hmm. It was it was one of the... I, I, I can't remember where I heard it. I heard it on a podcast once. I think it might have been a Battleship Pretension episode where one of them referred to like this... Sort of jokingly referred to this subgenre that is essentially like independent movie gets access to a big house. <laughs> <laughs> ever since ever since I heard someone point that out, I notice this all the time that there's a lot there's this a lot of like indie dramas and comedies where that there is like some there's a big fancy house and almost the entire movie takes place in and around this house. <laughs> this is one of those because he he lived the house that he thinks might be haunted. It's like this big old farmhouse that's <laughs> it's a really cool house. But anyway, uh, it was an interesting movie. Um, all right. I rewatched Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Last week, which is one of my favorite movies. Um, uh, yeah, you're not into it. But uh, it, there, there's I've, I've never seen a movie that has energy like that movie has energy. It's, it's insane. I don't understand how he did it. Uh, I think it's probably Edgar Wright's best movie, which is a high compliment from me. Um, Less so from me. Yeah, I know. But I still love that movie. Uh and then, so, oh, we're going to get another recurrence of this already. Last night, uh, May and I decided we were going to get pizza for dinner. And I sort of jokingly said, like, to, uh, like, we need to find an Italian movie to watch, right? Like, uh, but I don't think I have any Italian movies. And she was like, well, let's watch The Godfather. That's kind of Italian, right? I've never <laughs> seen that. <laughs> and I just recently bought a, a box set of The Godfather trilogy, which I, because I've been meaning, it's one, you know, I've been meaning to get it for years and I haven't seen the movie in years. And so we, yeah, we watched The Godfather last night. Uh, I think it was only like my third time seeing it and it had probably been seven or eight years at least. And, you know, newsflash, The Godfather is a really good movie. 
Uh, I think we had this exact conversation when I watched The Godfather a few months ago. We probably did, yeah. Uh, (laughs) It was more surprising from me, though. Yeah, May really liked it, too, which I was not at all sure that she would. Um, But, yeah, no, it's there. There is there is a. Every reason why The Godfather has the reputation it has. It's a great movie. So uh, you'll probably be hearing about the the other ones coming up here because she really liked it. So I assume we're at least we're going to watch the second one. Less of a fan of those. You didn't like the second one? Eh, it was okay. Oh, come on. All right. Don't be frustrated. I liked the first one. Doesn't that count for something? Oh, that is something. I feel like the general consensus is that the second one is better. I think I like the second one better from what I remember. That's wrong. Um, No, I just think it's not. um, I just don't enjoy the experience of watching the dude become more of a villain. That's just not. I mean, the first one was about two. Differently, though. I don't yeah. know. All of the stuff with him and Diane Keaton and it was just it was unpleasant. I didn't like watching it. I didn't I didn't enjoy the experience whereas yeah. I did and I enjoyed Marlon Brando a lot in the first one. Oh uh, yeah. Marlon Brando. Very right. good. Again. Again. <laughs> perfectly good reason why he has the reputation that he has. Right. Shocker everyone. Yeah. Marlon Brando and the Godfather. Good stuff. Don't <laughs> sleep on it. Uh <laughs> But yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think that's all for me because that was last night. So okay. How about you? Um, well, I have watched several movies. I went through. So I, I had a weird thing a couple of weeks ago. It was probably the day we last recorded. Um, where I was like, I should watch a movie. I don't know what to watch. What should I watch? And then I like went to Criterion, and I was like, What if I just like hit play on like the first thing that captured my interest, which is not usually a thing that I am able to do. Right. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> But I did. And I watched um, A New Leaf, directed by Elaine May, because I remembered Film Spotting talking about that one. And it okay. sounded enjoyable. Okay. Um, also co-starring Elaine May and Walter Matthau. Nice. Uh, and it is a dark comedy. It's pretty dark, but also mm-hmm. pretty funny. Uh, like, I didn't love, love it, but I liked it quite a bit. It's definitely oh, worth watching. It's it's. I have never seen any of the movies that Elaine May directed. This so. may be the first one I've seen, but it, it was good. As she was great in it, Walter Matthau was perfect. Um, it was it was really fun. So okay. that one's good. Um, and then I was like, "What if I watch other movies?" And then I went to there because Criterion um, very helpfully has a expiring at the end of the month list every month. Right. Which every streaming service should have, and for some reason, almost none of them do have. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why. But uh, I think only HBO and Criterion like make a space for that. Anyway, um, so I just like went in there and I was like, maybe I'll just I'll just watch some shit. I'll just watch some stuff that's expiring. Why not? Um, I watched a few short films, but one of the things I watched uh, was a movie that I had never heard of from 1932 uh, called The Old Dark House. Have you ever heard of The Old Dark House? Um. I mean, it, it sounds vaguely familiar, but it's also like a not super right. distinctive yeah. title. Uh, so. yeah, oh, James Whale. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I've seen it, but no, I haven't seen it. It was but. really enjoyable. I probably watched it because it was 70 minutes, um, but it yeah. was, I, I liked it quite a bit. It's I Every time I watch a pre-code movie, I'm like, I need to watch more pre-code movies. 
because right. like that, like those couple of years between like the early thirties before the code, like really, <laughs> it's like both really enjoyable to watch and also like kind of depressing because you're like, look at how we could have had like adult movies for 50 years. Yeah. Um, but we couldn't do that. I mean, so, not that there weren't movies for adults no, during but, the code period, but yeah, they had to like talk around shit in dumb ways. Yeah. Anyway, um, it's like this, it's sort of a, horror story ish thing of like the five people end up at this house in the middle of like Wales and during this like huge thunderstorm. And, you know, there's weird stuff going on, not supernatural, but like, um, scary people. And, um, it was really fun. I liked it a lot. I had a lot of (laughs) watching it. Um, and then also on the expiring list, I watched two Ingrid Bergman films by Joseph von Sternberg that I had never seen before, uh, Morocco and Dishonored. Yeah, I don't think I've seen any of their, I know they have like one of the most famous collaborations or whatever, but I don't think I've seen any of them. Right. Morocco was her first one with him. Um, and like, I don't know, they were fine. It was like 1930 and 1931. Morocco has a scene in which she does Mm. a song and dance performance in a tux, which is pretty hot. Right. But like... I don't know. They were fine. Um, and then I watched a movie called The Legend of Black Charlie, which initially did not have the word black in the title. Um, it is a black exploitation film from the 70s. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, about a house slave. Who right. I've heard of this. Yeah. And it was, I don't know. It, it was kind of interesting. It was like one of those things that's like 1972. It was interesting, like as a piece of its time. I don't know that it was like a great movie. Right. <laughs> um, Eric and I watched uh, Blue Valentine off of the Film School Rejects top list, which I hadn't seen since theaters. So it's been like 10 years. I think it probably landed a little differently for me this time. I, last time, I think it was, I think it's a really good, the performances in it are just really really phenomenal. Um, and Ebert has a line in his review of it where he talks about how, like, cause I don't, did you ever watch blue Valentine? I saw it once. Yeah. It's been a long time. Yeah. I don't know if you remember, but it, it plays in like functionally like two timelines. Like we see the, the timeline, like the story of them right. meeting and the, the meat cute. And then, the, and then yeah. it's ended up. And he has, he has a comment in his, in his uh, review where he says that like, it's much harder to play the same character from 24 to 30 than it is from like 24 to 60. Mm. And I, I think that that's really true just in terms of like the, cause you know, it's, there's not like much looks that changes. It really right. is like internal shifts. And I, the performances are just fantastic. I doubt I will ever watch it again. Uh, but it was, you know, whatever. I wasn't mad. I watched it a second time. And then we yeah, watched, they had, they had that up on movie recently and I thought about rewatching it, but I, I didn't end up doing it. And then we watched Knights of Kiberia from the Ebert list. Okay, I, I saw that one. I think that was basically the only um, Fellini movie that I ha- I've seen that I didn't hate. Well, because I had watched, because there's Knights of Kiberia and then there's the other one he did with her where they're like the circus. Are you talking about um, La Strada? That was yeah. her, right? Yes. Yeah, I haven't seen La Strada. Okay, I watched La Strada. I really liked La Strada and I liked, I liked this one okay. Mm. Um, I definitely... I mean, she is definitely just, like, such a presence in, like, such an interesting way that, like, it's, like, interesting to watch her. I didn't love it, but I, I liked Lestrada better, for sure. And then this weekend, Eric and I watched the pre-code 1932 film uh, Trouble in Paradise, directed by Ernst Lubitsch. 
which I had never seen, which was a delight. I'm pretty sure Jared and I watched that one. I remember it being hilarious. It's so fun. But I don't remember anything specific. So fun. Loved it very much. And again, yeah, that's that, the one I'm thinking of. Yeah. That like pre-code, like much more direct in some ways than later. Ways. Right. I don't know. It's it was it was really fun. I, I enjoyed it a lot. And then we watched um, A Week Away, the uh, Netflix uh, Christian musical. Oh, right. Yeah. Which was deeply confusing. I'm, I'm mostly going to land on deeply confusing. I don't know who the audience was. I don't yeah, really know what the, the goal was. <laughs> the Good Christian Fun podcast did an episode about it that I listened to, and I definitely got that impression. Like It, it seemed like it was probably written by someone whose familiarity with Christian culture was 20 years old. Yeah. So and like what like 20 years old they actually... by a level of nostalgia that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, that said, I enjoyed singing along with the songs. They opened with Stephen Curtis Chapman's Great Adventure, which I hadn't heard in so long. Mm-hmm. Um, and I sang along very joyfully to that one. And so they had two Stephen Curtis Chapman songs. The Great Adventure. He's actually in it, too, apparently, according yeah. to Christian Fund. Yeah. The, gra- the a Great Adventure and Diving In. And they had Amy Grant's one Amy Grant song off of House of Love. And they had one Michael W. Smith song. Oh, I feel like I'm missing one. And then they had a few others that were from that were not Christian songs per se, but were from like more recent like folk groups, you know. Mm-hmm. It's a weird movie. I don't understand. Mostly I came out of it being like, I wish someone would make the movie that I would like to watch about being at Christian camp. And like, I feel like when I say that, people are going to think that I mean that super negatively, but I really don't. Like, I think you could make a movie that was like compelling, honestly, without even throwing Christianity under the bus about Christian camp, because I think it's like a perfect space for kids to like have all of these very big experiences that are honestly just like pretty developmentally natural and not inherently toxic, although they're like tied up in a lot of things. The point is that I really loved camp growing up and I wish someone would make a movie that was about that was closer to my experience. Sounds like you got to do it. You know, <laughs> I don't think I have that skill. <laughs> Fiction writing is not my thing. Um, also, there are like no adults in the camp. Like there is literally there is. There is um, the guy who owns the camp, who is, um, God damn it, what is that? Is it David Koechner? Because he's yes. in it, I know. he's like the only yeah. name in the movie. Is David Koechner, I, I hope they paid him well, I don't know. Um, or at least that he had a good time. So there's him, and there's this black woman, that's it, in the entire camp. Makes sense. At one point, there is a woman in the cafeteria, and we see a lifeguard. So technically four. These right, the lifeguard are... was Stephen Curtis Chapman, right? right. Yeah. yeah. These kids are staying in cabins alone. <laughs> that That's a little weird, yeah. That's not even legal. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, and I know that that's not like the point. And obviously, you know, teen spaces and movies and stuff tend to make like unrealistic separation from adults in a lot of ways. But it was just so glaring that it was like really distracting. <laughs> mm-hmm. We didn't even have like a heartfelt talk with one of the adults really like it was just it was weird anyway it wasn't very good but we we watched it and that's done now um and then really quickly television wise i uh everything's gonna be okay the second season came back this week which is like eric's favorite show in the entire world um and it is i will acknowledge that i don't fully understand the level to which eric loves this show um but it is a really good show and more people should watch it. Um, it's very sweet and um, has a really unique tone. Uh, and the autistic character in it is actually played by an autistic woman. 
which is great. And um, it's, yeah, but Eric loves the show. <laughs> He's going to kill me when he listens to this in six months. Eric loves this show so much that literally he just cries all the way through it. Like, just, just sits and, like, slowly weeps. And then if you bring it up to him later, like, all I would have to do to make Eric cry at any point is, like, bring up the existence of this show. <laughs> <laughs> it's very sweet and cute. I don't understand it, but it's very cute. Interesting. Okay. Um, but it is it is a really good show, and I, I recommend it. It's up on Hulu. And finally, yesterday I watched through all the episodes that are currently up of Made for Love on HBO. And it was good. And I liked it. Okay. Um, have you been watching Falcon and the Winter Soldier? I oh, forgot to mention I that. Watched. I cannot pay attention to it, Joel. I'm so It's so bored. boring. It, oh, thank it's God. It's so boring. I don't, <laughs> Why is I don't, it so honestly, boring? I, like, it's because it's, it's a Captain America movie without Captain America. It's... And especially compared to WandaVision, which I didn't love where that show ended up, but it started out as such a like weird, interesting, surprising thing. Yeah. Compared to that, this show is just like it's it is it is exactly what you would expect it to yeah. be in the worst possible way. There is just so every like I just end up playing Stardew Valley while it's playing. Yeah. And then I like glance up periodically and I'm like, oh look, they're they're fighting. They're fighting again. again. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, and I just like the level super soldiers. Yes, the level to which I am bored by like Marvel fight scenes is very high, and I swear to God that is ninety percent of this show. And like, I know there are people who are really into it, and I'm really glad people are enjoying it. I just I'm hoping that Loki will be better. Um, well, yeah, I think from what I hear, they're going to get into more weird shit with Loki, and that's what I want to see. Right, that's what I want to see. I don't want to. Yeah. Don't I don't need this. I don't need or want this. I don't. I mean, whatever. We're four episodes in. I think it's six episodes total. So. Yeah, it's almost done. And but like, you know, one of the things that was cool about that I liked about WandaVision was like, you know, they, they even though I again didn't end up loving what they did with this, but like they brought back Kat Dennings character from the Thor movies and they brought back, uh, what's his name's FBI agent from Ant-Man who were characters that I really liked. And I was happy to see them show up again. I was like, this is, this is a good thing. I would like to see more from these characters. Right. In this one, they brought back fucking, uh, agent Carter's niece who (laughs) I didn't give a shit about even in that movie. I don't care what she's been doing for the last 10 years. Who gives a shit? (laughs) But She's who they brought back in this one. It's like, <laughs> and now she's supposed to be like the hard bitten, cynical one. Like, and come also on. the evil um, scientist dude, Zima or Z, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Which I, I, I'm not necessarily opposed to that because I thought he was kind of an interesting bad guy, but I, I don't love what they're doing with him either. And it's, it's just, it's, I mean, they're doing like a Hannibal Lecter thing, right? And it's, right. I don't think he. he quite has that has that level of gravitas yeah, yeah. <laughs> no I, 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 I have i'm gonna keep watching it just because it's I, like i feel like i have to at this point same. But, exact same i feel like i have yeah. to i feel i'm like i feel like to some extent i should appreciate more like i'm glad they're dealing with the blip and like and the actual fallout like right. economic and world fallout of like half the world's population disappearing right. and then well, yeah, I, right. I mean, that's that's what makes that's what makes it go beyond boring into the territory of kind of frustrating because like there's good stuff there there is good stuff there that they could be doing interesting things with and they aren't and there's interesting like racial stuff that they're trying to do that i just don't think yeah they are i don't know it's i mean it may not be my 
position or like my role to determine whether or not they're doing that well. But like, I just, yeah, I, I'm so tired of it and am looking for, and I mean, it's like, like fucking, I don't know. What's his face who plays, um, Bucky and what's his face? Sebastian Stan. Sebastian Stan and who plays Falcon? Um, uh, that's this is one of those things where I could have pulled that name out of my head easily. No, uh, um, Anthony Mackie. Uh, Anthony Mackie, right? Yeah. Anthony Mackie, like they are good, they're good actors. It's not like it's not their fault. I think Sebastian Stan yeah. tends to be able to sell Bucky a lot better than some people. <laughs> yeah, I, I think he's actually that. That is one thing that I'm I am like because I've never got the Bucky has always had like people who are obsessed with him as a character, and I've never got it. He's always kind of been a nothing character to me. I was um, only obsessed with his gay relationship with Cap and with no. <laughs> right. Which is not. Uh, yeah, that's not a thing. But It's not canon, but it is. <laughs> uh, but I, I do think that Sebastian Stan is doing good stuff in this show. Yeah, no, I, as, I like, think he's really. He's, he's, he's getting to expand the character in ways that make it way more interesting than it was before. Yeah. But all no. of the backgrounds, uh, like all of the stuff that they're doing and the, this whole thing with the new Captain America, which everyone was freaking out about the end of the last episode, which I guess by the time this comes out, maybe we won't even have to worry about spoilers that much, but I, I, who cares? I don't. Yeah. Well, and it has, um, his sister is, is, uh, played. Right. She's from, she was in Queen Sugar, right? Um, I'm not sure about that. She was in Pariah. Is that, is that who I'm thinking of? She she was in the movie oh, Pariah, okay. which was a movie that I really oh, okay. maybe I'm, that I really maybe liked. Um, I like Pariah too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So her name is uh, Adaparo Oduye. I yeah. may be butchering that. Um, I hope not. No, she hasn't. She wasn't in Queen Sugar. Um, okay. so, something I saw lately had. Oh, uh, Chris and I started watching True Blood. Oh, uh, which is okay. a that is a weird show. That is a really weird show. I watched the first season like forever ago. Um, like 10, 15 years ago type of forever ago and like wasn't that into it and so I never kept going but I didn't remember anything about it and like we started watching the show and like we watched two episodes and in the first episode at some point I messaged Chris and I was like I don't know why anyone is doing anything what what is why did she respond that way why did he are yeah. these people What's going on? <laughs> I almost watched that show once because I watched Six Feet Under and I fucking loved it. And it was the same creator. And I almost went straight into True Blood, but I ended up not doing it. And pretty much everything that I've heard since has made me glad that I did not. I don't think it's good, but I am definitely fascinated for whatever yeah. that's worth. And I think watching it now, like, Snooki Stackhouse books were written right after, like, the year nine. The first book came out, like, the year 9-11 happened. And huh. it is a story that is clearly trying to, like... Like, it is a post-9-11 vampire story, and not just 9-11, but, like, I think the vampires are supposed to be, like, stand-ins for gay people, but that kind of falls apart. And then there's weird race stuff. This is the whitest Louisiana that has ever existed. Um, sure. And then that stuff kind of falls apart, but, like, it's clear the vampires are supposed to be standing in for some kind of minority that wants rights. And <laughs> huh. it's, like, it's kind of fascinating, but it's not good. Right. <laughs> anyway, the, the, the main, there are two black characters, at least thus far, that are like main characters in the show. And one of them is played by the woman who played my favorite character in Queen Sugar with a bananas accent that is like over the, like Queen Sugar is also based in Louisiana. <laughs> right. 
And she has an accent in Queen Sugar. Like she has a, like a specifically like Louisiana type accent. I don't know what she's doing in this or what she has to do in this, but I don't think it's accurate. Me. <laughs> anyway, it's a okay. Queen Sugar, though. But I think that is about all that I have been watching and we've been talking for two hours or something. So well, not that long. Yeah, we should probably. It's been a while. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, we will see if we can find Unborn in the USA and that'll that'll be fun. And Yeah. <laughs> we can and probably worse watching now. Probably Oh tired. no, it's gonna be it's gonna be wretched, I'm sure. But We'll, yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Well, we'll see y'all next time. Bye. Bye.